Let's turn our scriptures to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I'll, I'll do the prayer for illumination after we read this. But um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Listen here, for this is God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to the which clings so closely and let us run the, the the race with endurance that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God on at the right hand of the throne of God Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. We pray that you be with us as we look at this word. We pray, Father, that you will do heart surgery on, on this today. Lord, change our hearts from stone-cold hearts, the hearts that are flesh and willing to receive the word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I was in college from 77 to 81 at a college called Winthrop College. Uh, Winthrop College doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's now Winthrop University. That went th- and they, they sent me a letter and said that I want, if I wanted university on my diploma now, to send them $100. <laughs> and so they still don't have my $100. So, and in fact, there is a Facebook um, a Facebook group called I Went to Winthrop College. And, and there are over 10,000 people a member of that Facebook group. So, um, Saying that, I was around during the time that it was vogue to run. Running was, was it was all about running back then. I, uh, as you look at me, I'm not particularly shaped for a runner. Uh, but back then, especially in, in 1980, I started running. And I got up to three miles a day. And a friend of mine who was a half miler in college, he said, let's run a race. And so he talked to me into signing up for this 5K in a little town called Lancaster, uh, Lancaster, South Carolina, which was about 20 miles away. And we signed up for this race. And I'd never run a race in my life. I had no idea what I was getting into. And so we, we got up there and he said, well, what you do you find somebody that looks like they, run, they, they will run the same pace you do and sort of pace with them. And I thought, so I, we got out there, there were about 500 runners. And so I was looking around at some, uh, some other people. I'd lost a good bit of weight. I still weighed over 200 pounds though. So I found the guy that I thought, well, he weighs about 200 pounds. I'll just follow him. So they, they, they got the pistol out and they hit the pistol and uh, he took off. I mean, and I found out later that he, he, he still held the, the mile record in South Carolina. And, and so, um, so I watched him go into distance. His, you know, his little red pants get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm trying to fix my eyes on him, but he, can't, he went out of sight. So I, I, well, I looked around and I found somebody that I thought, well, running the same pace I was. And I was doing the same thing. My, my friend who said, I will run with you, he went out of sight too. 
And lo and behold, at mile marker number two, uh, I came up on him, my friend, walking. Because he'd run the, he'd run the, fir- the first mile in, un- in under 450. So he was blazing out there. And he ran out of steam. But I kept my eye on this other person, and we kept going and going and going. I just and I was getting tired um, and everything. And uh, I, we got closer, closer to the finish line. And the guy in front of me passed the finish line, and I was getting ready to pass. And my friend that was the half miler passed me at the last minute because <laughs> he couldn't stand the idea that I was going to beat him. And so. Um, at the end, I ran the 5K in 21 minutes, which is not bad. It's, it's respectable. I came in 55th, uh, 500 runners, and uh, it, it was a great thing. But, I, I, but one of the things I always lean back on is the fact that I was able to find somebody that I could pace with and I could keep my eyes on them because I was dead tired at the end of that race. I mean, uh, you know, you're not supposed to lay down or anything like that after a race like that. But I didn't, but I was tired. I was tired because I fixed my eyes on that person that was just in front of me. And he helped me pull me through that race. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, our subject tonight is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, you know, you think that's real easy. Because, you know, how many Bibles do you have in your home? Somebody, Somebody tell me. 20, 20 more. Yeah, I have 36. And I, even the really green Hebrew Bibles, I, I got Latin Bible, I got all these Bibles. But it is, uh, it, is whole di- it is so difficult in this life to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, even though you got all the word that you want, anytime you want. Uh, you know, before... Uh, before there was internet, you just you had to have Bibles. But now you can have it going on in the background all day long. You can do all this. But it still can be difficult for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so that's one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus and what does that mean. Okay? So let's, let's look at the first, uh, our first point now. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means we reject that which hinders our race... And accept that which encourages us. Look with me in the scriptures here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. Now, you know, there have been some ink spilt on this one. What does that mean? But I think it means the all-encompassing church of Christ. Both here and there. That we have all these people watching us. And, And, you know... If the person that wrote Hebrews was Paul, which I think it was, you know, he was familiar with the Olympic Games, the games, the Greek Games, and how people would cheer people on. One of the things that also helped me in that race I ran was that there were uh, they divided up the race into men and women, so the women were were already finished, and so as I came close close to the to the finish line, people were cheering me. I don't get people to cheer me very often. And they were saying, come on, you can do it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's the idea that Paul here, I believe, is trying to get to us. That there are people there that are cheering us to make the way. 
that somewhere in the heavenlies, I want to think this, that John Calvin is saying, go, go. You know, that Luther is saying, go, go. That all the heroes of our faith are there. Looking down at us. If they, you know, I, I think they can see us. And telling us to go. You know, in the last uh, three weeks, the PCA has lost three important ministers. Um, Harry Reader and, and uh, is one, was one of my heroes in the faith. He was in Birmingham. Tim Keller, of course, many of y'all know who Tim is. And a guy named Stephen Smallman. And he was someone that uh, was a pastor of a church in Virginia. And later on was the, the president of Surge or World Harvest and things like that. They're very important men. Well, guess what, guys? They're up there now cheering us here. You know, we think they're gone away, but they haven't. They're in the heaven. They're in heaven with Jesus, cheering us on every day to continue on in our faith, continue on doing the things we have to do to become better believers. Both And also here, too. You, you prayed this morning for uh, this afternoon for Uganda. I've been there. I spent two and a half weeks in Uganda. And I have a dear friend right now that's the new president of African Bible College. And they're in Kampala. And, uh, and you know, he told me one time, we were talking on the telephone, he told me how Ugandans pray for us. How they pray for us. They cheer for us. Even though we think they're on the mission field. They look back at us and pray about all the things we go through here in the States. It's important to believe that we have the church praying for each other. And not only here, but also the church cheering for us in heaven. The ones that have finished the race. It's encouraging to know that those, those people are doing that now. And we're experiencing that. Even though we don't, we don't hear it. But we know they're doing it. From the heavenlies. We also need to take off those things that would hinder our race. Look with me in the next verse. It says here, uh, lay aside every weight. One of the things you don't want to do when you're running is have weight. You know, uh, I, I lost a good bit of weight at that time. But also you don't want to, uh, you don't want to run in a, in a hazmat suit or something like that. I have one of my international guys. His mother, back during COVID, was really concerned about him here. He's a nuclear scientist. And, and one day he came to his door, UPS came to his door with this big old package. And he opened it up. And it was a hazmat suit. And his mother said, please wear this every day when you go in. And he, told, he called me and said, Richard, what do I need to do with this? I said, forget it. That's not going to help you. I said, you'll die of heat uh, of heat." Of heat stroke if you wear that every day. And he said, oh, I guess you're right. But we don't want that, that kind of thing that will encumber us. And what does, what are the things that encumber us? It's the idols that we have in our lives. Those are some of the weights that encumber, encumber us. When I was a pastor, uh, and often I would do discipleship with men, I always found that most of my men had an idol in their life. Whether it be sports um, golf was a big one where I was at the time. They would spend too much on the golf course, not enough with their families. Uh, but there were other idols that, that, that they had. 
They're idols of the heart, things that they cherish greatly. I had another friend, his idols were cars. He had 32 cars. Now, he had some expensive cars. He had a a 1958 Silver Cloud Rolls Royce, worth probably about, back then, uh, well over $100,000. Today, it would be $200,000. And he loved those cars. And his wife asked me one day, can you talk to Harry about his cars? I think he loves them more than me. And so we sat down and we talked about it. And he started pushing them away. In fact, he sold half of his cars after we had that talk. He sold them to a guy named Truett Cathy, who owns Chick-fil-A. And now you can see those cars in some of the Chick-fil-A's around Atlanta as, as, uh, as, as models that he set up and everything. So, but, you know, there, we have to get rid of that which weighs us down. Weighs us down and keeps us from being able to run the race that's before us. In order to run the race, we must pull off that which keeps us from running well. You know... Uh, Several years ago, uh, a friend of mine's in the swimming world. And in fact, she uh, came within one second of being on the Olympic swimming team uh, several years ago. And one of the things that she went into was, was designing swimwear for, for women swimmers. And one of the things that was happening to there, they found out the type of wear that they were wearing. And I'm not going to judge over the size and stuff like that, but, but the type of wear, the, the fabric was actually slowing them down. So they went to this new space age fabric that the first time the women swimmers wore this, they broke all sorts of records. In fact, they were going to, uh, they were thinking about outlawing this fabric because it was so ultra sheer that um, it was really being unfair to the other teams until they got a hold of it, of course. Now everybody has it. But, you see, we have to take off that which encumbers us. The fabric at that time, she said, was really encumbersome, encumbersome the men, the women that wore this. And now they're not. So what we've seen first is that we have to run the race and, and take off that which would encumber us. We must throw off sin. We all have sin areas in our life that keep us from running the race as we should run it. We are called to pull off that sin and that keeps us from running the race and applying the gospel which helps us run the race the way we need to run it. You see, as we, as we get to know Jesus more and more, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we fix our eyes on the, on the gospel. And the gospel tells us how to run the race with perseverance. It changes our lives to run the race. It changes our attitudes to be able to run the race. And all those, and all that comes from fixing our eyes on Jesus and the gospel that, has, that he has brought us. You see, sin can entangle us to the point of being unable even to move. You know, um, I'm a, I like uh, the movies, the Lord of the Ring movies. Uh, every year I read the whole trilogy and everything. And there's a scene in the Lord, Lord of the Rings movie, and I think it's in the last movie, where Frodo is in, uh, near the lair of the spider. And he gets in the lair of the spider, and he ends up getting entangled in a spider's web. And he can't get out. Eventually, he pulls his sword out and begins to make his way out of there. And that sword, of course, is the word of God. 
And using that sword, he wakes, makes his way out of the tanglement that he found himself in. And that entanglement to us is sin. If we want to run the race, if we want to continue on the journey, we have to, to take the word of God as our sword and whack our way out of that spider web that's sin. Because it's really easy to get uh, into that situation. You see, we can uh, being in a spider web is easy. You just sit there. The more you struggle, what happens? You can you can say you call more. In fact, it, it begins to tighten up on you, and and after eventually, you're so entangled in it, you can't even move your arms. And that's what sin is like, and that's what could happen to this runner to tear off that which weighs us down and that which weighs us down is sin and we must be like Frodo and take the word of God and slash our way out of it slash our way out of it because that's what gives us the God gives us the word of God and gives us the Holy Spirit to be able to do that so what we've seen first is that fixing our eyes on Jesus means that we reject which that which hinders our race and accept that which encourages us to go on further. Secondly, fixing our eyes on Jesus means we run the race with perseverance. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has endured for us. He has endured for us. Let us run the race with endurance, it says in the latter part of verse 1, uh, one here. With endurance that, we set, that, that is set before us. We run that race with endurance, looking to Jesus, keeping, keeping in mind who Jesus is and what he has done. You see, Jesus endured the life of humility for us. He did it all for us. He endured the shame and the pain of the cross for us. He won the race that we could not win. Have you thought about that? That this race that Paul is talking about we can't win, no matter what we do. In that, in that 3K race I won, I was looking at all the people that lined up first. Did I ever have, in my imagination, ever dreamed that I was going to beat those people? You know, they, they hit the finish line at, at, at 14 minutes. They, they, were, they had already sat down and gotten something cool to drink by the time I even got near the finish line. Well, the same with, way is with us in running this life, in running this race that, that Paul is talking about here. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and Jesus, we fix it on him because he has already won the race. We still have to go through the motions, but he has won the race. He's assured us a place on the, at the finish line. He's assured our place. Guess what? On the dais. Because we're going to win. Because of Jesus. Now we don't think about that about life. A lot of lives. I was talking with a friend of mine this morning. And I asked him how things were going. He said don't ask. Just ask. Because you know you always, you always ask that to people. And you don't really expect them to say. Is it okay. All right. But he began to tell me everything that was wrong. I wasn't ready for that this morning. And, and we talked about this, about, hey, you, you have a race ahead of you. And these are some encumberments you've got to go through. But fix your eyes on the gospel. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus and you win the race because God, Jesus has persevered for us. And be, Jesus calls us to persevere in our race to be able to win and be able to go forward uh, and win the race that he has already won for us, that he has already won for us. You see, throughout history, we see people that endure. We see people that endure. You know, um, Chariots of Fire is one of my favorite movies. And uh, not only because he's a Christian that, that runs his ways, but also how he perseveres in doing this. Being, having the race that he is most capable of winning being taken away from him because of its stance in the gospel. And God giving the honor to him in this other race and winning the race and being put on that stand for the glory of God. For the glory of God. And that's what God is doing with us. You see, the believer is called to endure to the end of the race. One of the saddest things to ever see in a race is somebody that drops out. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever run a race before, but I've run now about 10. And you get down to that certain mark and you look over the side and somebody is just sitting on, on the sidelines. They, they were burned out. They, they couldn't go any further. There were too many obstacles for them. And so they just gave up. And yet, in the Christian life, that is not an option for us. Because why? Because our Savior has already won it for us. He is there. He's waiting there at the finish line for us to finish. To give us all the laurels, all the glory for finishing the race. And we give him the laurels and glories for finishing the race for us. For us. You know, this past week I was um, reading an article about a man who would push his son who was in the wheelchair in marathons. Now, don't even ask me to think about ever doing that. I mean, that is incredible. But he did it for years. He just recently died. But think about that. That he was so wanting his son to finish the race that he was willing to sacrifice his own body to see it happen. Guys, that's what Jesus does for us. That's what he does for us. He's willing to run that race for us. And that's what we have to set our hope on. To set our home on, our hope on. So we've seen first that fixing our eyes on Jesus means we reject that which hinders our race, accept that which encourages us. Secondly, we fix our eyes on Jesus means that we run the race with perseverance. With perseverance. Thirdly, fixing our eyes on Jesus means that we look to Him as we run the race. We look to him. And as I said earlier, you know, we don't believe in the images. But when we look to him, we look at the gospel. It it says here in the scriptures that Jesus is the founder and the finisher or finisher or perfecter of our faith. You know, if you take the analogy back to the rest, you know, he's the one that starts the race. And he also is the one that finishes the race. He's the founder of the race, and he finishes the race. For who? For us. And he does it for the uh, for he does this for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross for us. 
that he endured the cross for us. You see, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus was chosen for the foundation of the world to save us. To save us, each one of us. When he, when he finished that, that, that race, when he finished his, his work on the cross, each one of us' name was already etched on the trophies. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus finishing that race and every single one of us on the trophies that we will get, our names are fixed on them. They're waiting for us in heaven. That's exciting, guys. That's exciting to know that, that even though we're still in the midst of this race, and, and you know, uh, many of y'all know I hurt my knee a, a few years, uh, about a year and a half ago, and tore it really terribly. And my other knee is hurting now, so, I, so they're equal. And so I, I, I toddle around equally now and everything. And sometimes I think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just go to heaven? You know, to, to not, not have the, the hurt and things that are going on in my knees and things like that. But I know that I got a lot of the race left. Hey, I told my boss the other day I was going to work to 70 unless the, Lord t- unless the Lord comes. And he was glad. But I was thinking, that's five years. My parents, who were both believers, they're 86 years old now. And, and my father has experienced a lot of problems now and things like that. But he knows that Jesus has won that race for him. And at the end of, of the race is the trophy. Because he perseveres, he will win. He will win because Jesus has already won for him. So he was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus did what the law could not do. But provide us a way to cover our sins. Jesus shows us the way and supplies us the means to run the race until the end. The gospel and the, and the Holy Spirit applying to our lives, providing the fuel to run. The fuel to run. I got to meet, uh, now I'll have to revert to my southern roots, if y'all excuse me here. Uh, I, ha- I got to meet a uh, NASCAR racer back when I was young and that NASCAR racer had just lost the race at Daytona the Daytona 500 and he lost lost it because of one thing his pit crew forgot to give him fuel at the last pit stop so he was rounding the backstretch and coming around he was leading by five car lengths and he ran out of fuel and he got beat by half a car link. He was able to, to sort of get it up there. But, but one of his friends passed him. Well, guys, you know, Jesus gives us the fuel. The Holy Spirit, the gospel. He gives us the fuel to continue on in the race. You know, the night before my race, um, they say you're supposed to load down with carbs. So uh, a friend of mine went to this all, and I, uh, the same mile, half mile that I was talking about, we went to this all-you-can-eat spaghetti place. And that was sort of a mistake. But, but supposedly you're supposed to fuel up for all these carbs. And, and we read later, that was for a marathon, not for what small race that we were running. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but these marathoners, they'll go and they'll, they'll just chow down all the carbs they can because they're going to burn off all that energy to be able to run that race. 
Well, that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us all that we need. Uh, I, I meet Christians every now and then that think they need something else than the word of God and the gospel. But then for some reason they need something else. Uh, he said, it just doesn't work for me. Because you just don't use it. You don't get enough of it. Uh, you know, young Christians, I, I tried to get them to read the Bible. And uh, young Christians, like I, I, uh, I have a international that I read the Bible with him every week. We do about three chapters. We've read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now we're reading through, the, through Acts. Because what that does, it gives you fuel for the race. It gives you fuel for the race. To be able to do the race and not run out. You know, he, he has his, uh, next week, he has his dissertation. Next week, his, his jury. He's all exciting, excited. He's, uh, he told me, he said, I want you to, I, you know, I, I do barbecue, and he's, he wants me to do ribs for, for, his, for all his uh, jury to eat, because they buy a little meal for him. I said, are you trying to bribe him? <laughs> and he said, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. And he sort of winked at me. And, and so, he, but he has devoured the word of God. He's grown in leaps and bounds since he became a Christian uh, two and a half years ago. And uh, he's looking forward to his, his now wife coming over here and joining him in the next month or so. so but, but he has that fuel every day given to him. So, but... But, you know, one thing that Jesus has done for us is that Jesus is also the devoted servant and the effective high priest. It says in the last part of our verses, he says, it says, For the joy that is, was set before him enduring the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus took that which was defeat and turned it into victory. The cross. Think about what the cross was. What it symbolized before Jesus was, sac- was sacrificed on that cross. It was a shameful death. And I won't go into all that. I'm sure Zach has done that. But it went from a, victory, from a defeat to a victory by Jesus rising from the dead. I have a good friend. His name is Dave Marsh. And when I was in that little town in South Alabama... Barala, Alabama. I know no one is here has ever anybody ever heard of that town before? All right, it's it's Florida, Alabama. It's the it's the initials. And it's existed since uh, Andrew Jackson went through there in uh, in eighteen twenty something. And it has a big lake out there and everything. And Dave Marsh was an English guy. And he had uh, was in um, the uh, the Suez War. With, with the British Army. And he came over here and went to a place called Columbia Bible College, which is now International University uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. And he, he was going to be a missionary overseas. Well, he met a girl there. You see, when we were coming through, through college, Columbia uh, Bible College was also known as Columbia Bridal College. and Because uh, if you wanted to get marry a missionary or a preacher, you went down there and you, you could marry one. So, uh, but he mar- he came there as the doctor. They they got married. They got instantly pregnant, 
And so he started working as a doctor here in the States. And he ended up in Farrell, Alabama, the only doctor in town with an eight-bed hospital. And, but he never gave up his British citizenship. And so when I became the pastor of the PCA church down there, they became a close friend of mine. And I said, Dave, why don't you become a U.S. citizen? And he said, oh, I just can't do it. He said, I, I've been, been a British citizen all my life. All your children are U.S. citizens. Your wife is a U.S. citizen. You know, you don't have to go through all these hoops anymore if you became a U.S. citizen. He said, no, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And eventually, I left that little town, went to Albany, Georgia. And about five years after I got to Albany, Georgia, I get this call from Dave. And I said, he said, hey, Richard, how you doing? You know, he did this British, you know, I can't do his accent. But he said, oh, guess what? I said, what? He said, uh, we want you to come for a party. I said, why? Said, why? He said, I became a U.S. citizen. And I said, oh, that's, that's great, Dave. That was really great. And so we talked down and I said, Dave, imagine this. The Battle of Yorktown went from a defeat to a victory for you. And there was this long pause. Oh, obviously, he had never thought of that. And he said, well, Richard, that's so right. He said, he said, oh, down with the British. <laughs> God says to Jesus, the cross went from a victory, a defeat to a victory. He did it. He did, us, did that for us to be able to run the race, to be able to run it fully. Jesus has fully finished his work. And now it says in Hebrews 1.3, he sits down at God's right hand on the throne of God. But not only does he sit down, he sits down where? Y'all know where he sits down? Come on, you're Presbyterians, you should know this. All right? At the right hand, but where else? At the throne? All right, what else? He sits down in the mercy seat. That seat that exists between the angels and the ark. Jesus is the perfect lamb. The perfect one that has completed all. So he sits down. He's the only high priest that could sit down. High priest, when they ministered to God, they had to be busy. They had to be doing everything in the world. But Jesus is the only one that could sit on the mercy seat for us. Completing the task. Completing the race for us. And that's what he done. All right. Uh, let's, let's do the application here. You know, we need to come in repentance more to prepare us for the race. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a friend who was a, a youth director. And he used to walk across the campus where he, he, he was going to school. And he would take, uh, I walked with him one time, and, and he would spend time repenting before the youth group. And I said, why, why do you do that? Why do you do it later? He said, well, I, I find I need to do it right before I meet with those kids. Because then, as, as a friend of ours who is an African-American, he says, I get fessed up. Confessed up. 
And I need to do that because I'm getting ready to minister to these children. So that's what we need to do. We need to prepare before the race to prepare that which we know we'll have to do. My wife, um, if you ever want to, ladies, if you ever want to remind your husband of something, what you do, you paste it to the mirror in your bathroom. I don't know if you do that or not, but my wife does. And uh, I'll go in there often in the morning and find a note to me. And also, in my wife, one time she put this note up after a, a, a difficult time I was going through. She said, remind, I want to remind you of this. Who you are in Jesus. You're his son. And nothing can change that. So, so we have to prepare ourselves for that race. Secondly, we need to apply the gospel every day in our lives. Every day. Um, Tim Keller used to say, if I, and, and another guy used to do this too. Um, he used to say that you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Every day. Remind yourself of who you are. What you're going, and, and what you're going through doesn't matter. The fact that you remind yourself who you are. And that Jesus is running the race for you. Thirdly. It is important for us not to lose our focus. And take our eyes off of Jesus. Um. One of the things, uh, we, we have our, our six-year-old granddaughter lives with us. And uh, if I'm trying to focus on something, she can't be around. Because she likes to play with her grandfather. Uh, just before I came in here, I said, i, I got to look over my sermon. She said, come play with me. And I said, darling, i, I got to look over my sermon. He said, then come play with me. And finally, I said, go play with your grandmother. <laughs> so she's more fun than I am. And she went and woke the grandmother up. So, But, you know, we can be distracted so easily by the things of the world. We can be distracted about anything. And one of the, things, one of the reasons that I don't study at home much is because uh, I get distracted by everything in the world. I have, I have a large library at home. And I'll be sitting down there working on a sermon and I'll look up and I'll see this, see this book. I say, oh, well, you know, I'd like to look up something. And I'll look up something and about five hours later, I'm not, not back to my sermon yet. But that's why I go to the church and do my sermons. But you have to learn that which distracts you and take it out of your life. You know, being able, being, being distracted can really take you off your run. And finally, it was the power of the gospel that we need every day. And with that, I'm going to leave that with you tonight. If you want to run the race, look for the power of the gospel. Put it in your life. It's the fuel that God gives us to run. And as you get that fuel, guess what that does? It clears off the windshield or clears off that, the, the, the race course that you're getting ready to run. And all you can see is Jesus. If you do that every morning, remind yourself of who you are. And what Jesus has called you to do. Because he's there waiting on you. For you to run your race. Let's pray. Lord we thank you for the word. We pray Father that you would. Do heart surgery on this this day with us. That you will help us. And be encouraged. Lord it it is hard sometimes. As we run the race. 
It is hard uh, to not be distracted in this world. But Lord, we know that if we run the race, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then it's all worth it. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.